Here we are, 2023. The holidays have vanished in the blink of an eye. The New Year's resolutions are well on their way. I hope you're doing okay. It's 2023. What will it be? What can it be? Which may not actually be the most helpful question. It will be what it is. Maybe a better question is, who are you hoping to be? The resolutions we make, that's the question that hovers just beneath the surface. What are you hoping to be? In 2023, it rhymes. I like, I like the way it rhymes. What are you hoping to be in 2023? The circumstances will be what they are. It'd be great if we could avoid a global pandemic. It'd be nice if the market didn't plummet. It'd be spectacular. I'd give my two front teeth if we could avoid the political vitriol that's wreaked havoc on our public discourse for far too long. And if I can be honest, we're not off to a great start. The circumstances will be what they are. The stuff will come as it always does. I'm wondering... Who are you hoping to be? I was sitting a couple weeks ago, sitting down thinking about that very question from my own life. I made four categories, heart, mind, soul, body, because Jesus said love God with all of those things. Started thinking about us, too, on the corner of Ninth and College, 6th and Columbia, and this online community emerging as it does. What are you hoping to be? Uh, Henry Nowen, in a book I'd highly recommend, titled Life of the Beloved, offers these really helpful words. The fact that I'm always searching for God, always struggling to discover the fullness of love, always yearning for the complete truth, tells me that I already have been given a taste of God, of love and of truth. I can only look for something that I have, to some degree, already found. If it's true that we not only are the beloved, but also have to become the beloved, if it's true that we not only are children of God, but also have to become children of God, if it's true that we not only are brothers and sisters, but also have to become brothers and sisters, if all of that is true, how then can we get a grip on this process of becoming? If the spiritual life is not simply a way of being, but also a way of becoming, what then is the nature of this becoming? In other words, who are you hoping to be? For my part, we're going to gather around the Gospel of Matthew. We actually began in Advent. We're going to continue today in chapter 3. Listen carefully and listen well. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented, saying, I need to be baptized by you, but do you come to me? And Jesus answered him, let it be so for now. It is right for us to fulfill in this way all righteousness. So he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, as he, came, as he was coming up out of the water, the The heavens were opened to him, the Spirit of God descending and alighted on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I'm well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit 
into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards, he was famished. Then the tempter came and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Jesus answered, as it is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, throw yourself down, for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will bear you up with their hands so that you do not dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said, as it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Then the devil took him to a great high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor and said, all of this I will give to you if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, away from me, Satan. As it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him and the angels came and waited on him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's Matthew 3, 13 through chapter 4, verse 11, if you want to find it in a Bible with you, near you. It's the baptism story turns into temptation narrative. The baptism story ends with that crescendo. This is my son, the beloved, with whom I'm well pleased. You can find it for yourself. This is my son, the beloved, with whom I'm well pleased. And Mary smiles. And Joseph, if, he, if he's there, off in the background, the guy's patting him on the back. This is my son, the beloved. It's hard for me not to hear that and, and not remember Christmas. I mean, Christmas probably in the rearview mirror of your lives. The Christmas trees have been kicked to the curb. The needles will remain for months. The stockings have been stuffed back into their boxes. But I hear this is my son, and I'm reminded of Mary. When the time came for her to deliver her child, she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth. And now, here, her firstborn son is announced as his beloved son. This baptism story inviting us deeper and deeper into the incarnation of God, God becoming like us, God taking on what we are. John, John's as confused as anybody. He, he remembers the prophet's announcement. He heard about the angel's song. Jesus comes to him to be baptized, and John's like, no way, I should be baptized by you. But do you come to me? This, this baptism story burrowing deeper and deeper into our hearts, the reality of the incarnation, God with us, God for us, God among us. In birth, he became like us. In baptism, he identifies with us. And in the wilderness, he experiences all that we know. I'm borrowing from Craig Barnes, president of Princeton Theological Seminary, in a sermon he preached on this passage. Jesus does not receive this designation of being the beloved of God until he identifies with us in his baptism. In an identification that is so total and complete that we have to hear heaven's declaration that all creation is the beloved of God. 
That has been found in Jesus Christ. Through the conception, through the baptism, through the temptation, the Holy Spirit is driving the incarnation deeper and deeper. The Son of God is born as one of us, baptized as one of us, tempted as one of us. As one of us is the point. As one of us. So the announcement over Jesus' life is the announcement over our lives. You're the beloved too. God took on flesh in Jesus Christ, became what we are, in baptism identifies with us, is announced the beloved one, and so by faith in him, we become beloved children as well. You are the beloved of God. How about that for 2023? What are you hoping to be? How about the beloved of God? Because of Christ as the beloved one, we become beloved children, Think, think of it. Before Jesus has done anything, up until this point in the gospel, he was born, which really wasn't up to him. He hadn't done anything. Probably built some furniture at this point. He's 30 years old, but the gospel writers don't tell us any of that. Before he's done anything, already announced, you're my beloved, and because of him, we're beloved before we've done anything. You, and all of your you-iness, you with all of the stuff that makes you you, your idiosyncrasies and your pathologies, if I can put it like that. You, with the stuff you love to talk about, and you, with the stuff you hope nobody finds out about. You are beloved of God. I like the way Nowen puts it. We are the beloved. We are intimately loved long before our parents, teachers, spouses, children, and friends loved or wounded us. That's the truth of our lives. That's the truth I want you to claim for yourself. That's the truth spoken by the voice that says, you are my beloved. Jesus comes up out of the waters of baptism, the, heaven op- the heavens open, the, the spirit descends and alights on him, and a voice from heaven says, you are my son, the beloved, with whom I'm well pleased, and because of him we are. Isn't that what the Bible says somewhere else? I've loved you with an everlasting love, declares the Lord. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul was getting at as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved? Try that on for size. So, so then what do you think happens next, this grand announcement, this glorious announcement? What do you suppose happens next? They all gather in the synagogue basement to have ham buns. Maybe, maybe they go out for brunch, you know, buy one, get one free on baptism Sunday. Maybe they go back to Mary and Joseph's house for, for a little gathering of their friends and family. You know, they've just had the announcement. So what do you suppose is next? This is what's next. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Belovedness, this is my point, belovedness does not exclude us from wilderness. Anybody know the wilderness? The wilderness where you're all alone, the wilderness where pain is present, the pressure mounts, wilderness where the circumstances are hard, your heart throbs, anxieties swirl, the wilderness. This is my son, the beloved. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. After 1436, when the printing press was produced and Bibles began to be mass, the printing press was made and the Bible began to be mass produced in order to organize the Bible for the reader, they put little numbers in the Bible. 
They're not inspired. They're just pragmatic. They're trying to help us read. So you get this big number four. Find it in the Bible you've got with you. There's this big number four between the baptism story and the temptation narrative telling us they're two different stories. It's like a long, it's like a book of short stories, you know, same author, but different stories. Well, the, the numbers are not meant, f- they're not inspired. There's not meant to be a division between the baptism story and the temptation narrative. You could call it the baptation, if you want to, or the temptism. They're the same story. The beloved one is invited into the wilderness. Belovedness does not exclude us from wilderness. Anybody know the wilderness? I had to contend with the wilderness really in, in the, for the first time in a real way when I was in college. I don't know, probably some sadnesses in my own heart, um, some circumstances that swirled around. I had to contend with the question, if God is so good and God is so powerful and God is so loving, why the wilderness? Why pain? Why hurt? Why suffering? Theologians call it theodicy. Theos, meaning God, and dikaios, meaning righteous, and you shove those two together and put a question next to it. It's, is God righteous? My grandpa Brown had died. I'd been cut from the college basketball team. A girl I thought was really great, didn't think I was great at all, and probably a whole bunch of other painful things in my life I don't want to remember now. Uh, Rich Mullins had died tragically in a car accident. Princess Diana had died suddenly, too. We were between the Gulf Wars, but the tensions in the Middle East were still really high. And I was asking the question of pain. I was asking questions about the wilderness. A couple of mentor friends of mine in college introduced me to St. John of the Cross, who wrote a book titled The Dark Night of the Soul, St. John says, in the dark night of the soul, bright flows the river of God. Uh, You mean to say that there can be a dark night of the soul in faith? Uh, I was introduced to Psalms, the Psalms, in a new way. You ever prayed this Psalm? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Or what about this one? My eyes are filled with weeping. My pillow is soaked with tears. Or, um, many are my foes, many are rising against me, many are saying, there's no help for you in God. How about praying that one before dinner? And all of a sudden, my, my, my pain, my hurt, my heartache found a home in faith. It wasn't something other than faith, it was actually a part of the faith. My, my, my hurt found a home in God's heart. Belovedness does not exclude us from wilderness. This is why C.S. Lewis puts in a book titled God in the Dock, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. This amazing announcement of belovedness goes right into the wilderness. Do you know the wilderness? Do you know pain? Are you confused by a world gone wrong? Maybe, maybe you can find a home in faith. Maybe, maybe you can find a home in God's heart. Maybe, maybe you're not alone. Maybe Jesus heard the voice, my son, the beloved, and then was led up 
into the wilderness. Maybe the wilderness is where we're shaped and formed into who we hope we can be. Now, belovedness doesn't excuse us. I'm moving along now. Belovedness doesn't excuse us from discipline. I'm not talking about getting in trouble. I mean the spiritual disciplines. Uh, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I'm well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. Jesus, the Son of God, the beloved one, practices the spiritual disciplines that have sustained followers of God for thousands of years. Here in Matthew's gospel, he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. In other parts of the gospels, we read he, he spent time praying. He removed himself from the crowds to participate in solitude. He clearly immersed himself in the book so that when the devil tempts him, he can respond with scripture. He invested in community. He was practicing the the habits that have sustained followers of God for thousands of years. And if it's true of the Son of God, why not us, the children of God? We, we, we've gotten into thinking God is so good and God is so generous and God is so kind and Jesus has paid it all. Nothing but the blood. And that's true in terms of salvation but not true in terms of growth and maturity and the pursuit of intimacy with God. I'd be a little bit like if you've ever been in a relationship with one you love and there's mutual affection and there's mutual respect and there's joy and there's generativity and it's all so good. You don't have to wonder if she's into you. She's into you. You don't really have to wonder if he likes you. He likes you. You are confident of your belovedness, if I can put it that way. And over time, your confidence becomes a little bit of complacency. You don't, I mean, you don't have to go out for dinner again, do you? You don't really have to do those things that make their heart swell, really. I mean, you're beloved. You're good. It's good. You're fine. It's fine. What do you suppose happens to that relationship over time? In the long term, that's not the way to nurture a thriving, whole, fulfilled relationship. The relationship may stay together, but it's not, it's not the way you, you pursue thriving. Forgive me for ratcheting this down so far and even making it a little sappy, but wouldn't that then be true of our life with God? Jesus has paid it all. You are beloved. There's nothing you have to do. You're not going to earn anything, but if you want to nurture relationship, just like Christ, participate in the practices that have sustained followers of God for thousands of years in life with God. Prayer, scripture, fasting, silence, solitude. Read Richard Foster's Celebration of Disciplines. He'll give you all the ideas. So take some time today, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Take some, I know you've made resolutions. Now I'm asking about spiritual disciplines. Who are you hoping to be? And maybe... Maybe your belovedness, and your beloved, don't be confused, you already are beloved. Maybe that invites us into practices that will sustain our life with God. Uh, here's a word from Ruth Haley Barton in a book titled Sacred Rhythms. I cannot transform myself, or anyone else for that matter. What I can do is create the conditions 
in which spiritual transformation can take place by developing and maintaining a rhythm of spiritual practices that keep me open and available to God. This is my son, the beloved, with whom I'm well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. Belovedness does not excuse us from discipline, and it does not eliminate temptation. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. Then the tempter came. Then the tempter came. Wouldn't it be great if we could just be like oblivious to temptation, like it had no effect on us whatsoever? It'd be like a Marvel character, you know, there's like the shield around us. We can't even feel the temptations. We're beloved. It's not true of Jesus, and it's not true of you either. A couple of things about these temptations. He tempts Jesus when he's weakest. Afterwards, he was famished. Then the tempter came. It's late at night. You've had a long day. You're discouraged. Then the tempter came. He tempts him at the core of his identity. If you are the Son of God, you, you, you deserve. You're entitled. You've worked so hard. The tempter came. He tempts him with immediate gratification. You don't have to go the long, hard road of discipleship. You can have it now. The tempter came. He tempts him in transaction. If you are, then, which is never the gospel. The gospel is never about transaction. God has already done all the work and invites us into a life with God. Belovedness, and you are, does not eliminate temptation. I kind of sort I mean, this is going to sound terrible, but I sort of wish it would be that obvious, like some amoeba-like character showing up into my living room speaking lies into my life. At least I'd know what's happening, or, or, or some serpent-like character whispering into my ear. At least I'd realize this is not normal, or, or even, a, a, you know, the typical depiction of the evil one in a red suit with a pitchfork or something like that, then I'd know what we're dealing with. It wouldn't make it any easier, but at least it'd be obvious. For us, it's still not easy, and it's definitely not obvious when the tempter comes. It's late at night, and you're just scrolling through Facebook. No big deal. Is it TikTok now? Is it Instagram? I don't know. And you're just, you're just a thumb tap away. No one will know. You can delete the history. Then the tempter came. Now, there's this thing in our brain called the amygdala. It's, the, it's like the survival center of our brain. It's, it's the thing that keeps you alive under pressure, and it's also the thing that makes you fight, yell, scream, and a lot of us have been operating on our amygdalas for a long time. Then the tempter came. God wants you to be happy, right? God wants you to feel good, right? You do you is the cultural mantra of our day. No is a swear word. Limitations are oppression. Then the tempter came. Belovedness, and you are, does not eliminate us 
from temptation. Who do you want to be requires the capacity to say no. No, even if it feels good. No, even if it's immediate gratification. No, even if you think you deserve it. Even if you think you're entitled. No. The tempter came. Our belovedness does not exclude wilderness, doesn't excuse discipline, and doesn't eliminate temptation. But it does equip us for all of these things. You are the beloved. So who do you want to be in 2023? The circumstances will be what they are. The stuff will come as it always does. Successes and accomplishments and prosperity, I hope, and probably some pain and joy, and the fights will be fought, and the anxiety will rise, and all of the stuff that's always been true of all of us for all of time will happen. I'm not asking what do you hope the year will be. I'm asking who are you hoping to be? So let's return where we began. The fact that I'm always searching for God always struggling to discover the fullness of love, always yearning for the complete truth, tells me that I've already been given a taste of God, of love and of truth. I can only look for something that I have to some degree already found. If it's true that we not only are the beloved, but also have to become the beloved, if it's true that we not only are children of God, but also have to become children of God, if it's true that we not only are brothers and sisters, but also have to become brothers and sisters, if all that's true, how then can we get a grip on this process of becoming? If the spiritual life is not simply a way of being, but also a way of becoming, what then is the nature of this becoming? Maybe, maybe the wilderness is the place of becoming beloved. Maybe the disciplines are the tools for becoming beloved. Maybe temptation is the arena in which you become the beloved because you are beloved. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. The beloved one, Jesus Christ took on what we are. He, he, he was born to become like us. He was baptized to identify with us. He was sent into the wilderness to know what you know, so come to the table. You're the beloved child of God because Christ is the beloved one. Feast and be equipped for what's ahead. If you believe Jesus is Lord and acknowledge him as Savior, you're welcome to participate in this way. Maybe you've got some bread and juice or wine and bread. If you're not at that place in life or faith, I invite you to take some time to consider what you've heard. For those who do partake, now is the time.